Hello, I'm Alex Crow, And I'm Steve Evans. Welcome to this week's Canberra Times News Podcast. And today, we're in court. Today we've got with us our three criminal team, as it's badly put. Our team that covers crime, our Canberra Times crime team. Hello to Peter Brewer, Cassie Morgan and Blake Foden. Peter is a journalist at the Canberra Times who has been covering police for several years and spent a decade working amongst them as part of their media team. Cassie Morgan and Blake Foden are the Canberra Times full-time court reporters. Between the pair, they cover all things that happened in the ACT courts. What's your impression, the three of you, of the justice system? Let me start with Cassie first because you're new to it. Maybe people might be surprised at how swiftly cases get passed through when they can. And then you've got that the other end of the spectrum as well where things take months and months and drag out. You see some people, they deal with it in very different ways. There's some people who come in and they're shaking, they're sobbing in the dock, they're completely terrified, and you have other people who come in and they've got a couple of their mates who are sitting at the back and they're sort of laughing and clowning around with them. We've even seen people fist bumping with their mates over the dock. It's just a a completely different set of attitudes that you see from people. And, yeah, obviously for some people, the the fear of the whole experience is something that really motivates them not to come back. And for others, they're just trapped in this cycle where they've been through so many times it doesn't really phase them anymore. Going off what Blake's saying, that was something that was striking for me as well. You know, starting out just seeing a whole bunch of names in a list and then as the months go by, you're looking through those lists and seeing the same names pop up. You you know, you garner a sense of their history, what they're like, what they may have even done, um, you know, they're in the system that many times, which is really interesting. Interesting. Mm. Do you talk to them? No. We do occasionally, and it tends to come about when we take photos of them out the front. They seem to uh, to really not enjoy being pictured um, alongside their stories. Odd that. And it is, because they um, they seem to regard that as being worse than just being named in a story. And um, a good case that sort of um, illustrates that is one of a, a notorious underworld figure in Canberra who's got a criminal history that spans about 40 years. Um, she was recently in here repeatedly over a quite a short period and over that 40-year criminal history she's often been named and all the things that she's she's done have been detailed and documented in the paper there's never been a picture of her one morning uh, one afternoon sorry I stood out there as she left she sort of hid inside for a while trying to avoid the camera eventually realized that there was only so long she could do that and she would what goes in must come out out she came I took the photo Um, she wasn't too impressed with that The next morning I was walking up the stairs heading towards the courtroom that she was in and I heard this voice from around the corner saying, oh, here comes the photo taker. And I thought, here we go. Here's a a woman who we've been hearing throughout this case is uh, larger than life. She's uh, feared by seemingly everybody in in Canberra's criminal underworld and I thought I've earned myself the ire of somebody here. And it turned out that she was quite reasonable about it. She actually apologised for the uh, the abuse that she'd launched the previous day while being photographed. And from that point on, we saw each other every day for three or four days. We said good morning to each other. She'd come and stand and have a chat while I was talking to the lawyers outside court. And, you know, you realise that, you know, people who do have these extensive criminal histories... Um, you can correspond with them like human beings. Um, you know, they're not 
just people who you, uh, if you look at them the wrong way, they're automatically going to just fly off the handle at you. Pompous question. There are people who are plain evil, no doubt of that. But are most people just a bit of good and a bit of bad? What do you think? Yeah, I think the the number of people who are just plain evil is very low. And something that you come to learn when you sit through a lot of cases um, in a court, and it doesn't matter where you are, this applies almost universally, you find that most people have led sort of a, a dark path to get to where they are. A lot of them have had very disadvantaged upbringings where either they've been abused, um, they've had drug issues, they've had alcohol issues, and they haven't been kept on the straight and narrow as young people. And then a lot of them are committing these offences to fund uh, be it drug addictions or um, you know just whatever lifestyle it is that they've grown up with. They, they're just stuck in that path and it becomes very difficult to extract yourself from that. So most people, are, they're committing offences for a purpose. It's not just because they want to be bad. I don't know if we ever like people, but I think sometimes with some people there's a sense of intrigue about their characters, particularly if someone's reputation precedes them. I envy these two, by the way. I, I envy these two. There's a theatre about court. I, I'm not sure. I'd love to hear what your view is about the, the way the... The dress, the style, the, the, the mannerisms, the formality and the informality. And I, I'm interested to see what your views are, Blake, on that. By and large, I think the public would be surprised that it's, it's nothing like what you see in a TV drama, for instance. You don't have lawyers standing up every five seconds and screaming, I object. Does it ever happen that you see the lawyers and barristers going at each other, hammer and tongs in the courthouse, and then a minute later they're walking out the door and heading off to the pub together for a beer? They do. Once it's all over, they're quite often, before they've even left the bar table, they're bantering with each other and they're talking about the different phrases that, um, that they use and congratulating each other on, um, on their command of the English language, I suppose, and, and different things that they've picked up within that case um, you know, to further their cause. And then out the door they go, still chatting away. And um, during times when yeah, pubs are open and we're not in in this lockdown sort of world that we're still partially living in at the moment, then, yeah, they are going across the road and having a beer. Often you'll have defendants sitting there watching their barrister laugh their heads off sometimes with with a prosecutor, and you wonder, is that unnerving for them? Are they sitting there wondering, is this too friendly? You see the defendants sitting there sometimes, and if it's a, a barrister or a prosecutor that we know as reporters and we're talking to them, you see the defendant looking across like, what are they saying? And obviously these people aren't, they're not telling us things that they're, not, that they're not supposed to, but I suppose it plays on the minds of the defendants sometimes. We've had quite a number of cases recently where I would have expected the person to go to jail. We had a case of a man caught with serious child pornography, didn't go behind bars. What's going on? There have been a few of these instances and the peculiar sort of factor that has contributed to some of those is um, actually the coronavirus. And there's been restrictions in place at the jail since about March, off the top of my head, where visitors have not been allowed to go in. So effectively, uh, visiting rights have been um, curtailed from about three vis- up to three visits a week, face-to-face, to being one so-called virtual visit every week, which is a video call. So that has led basically to a precedent being set where jail time is considered harder now than it ever was before. And some people have had um, 
custodial sentences that have been less than what they would otherwise be. The argument, as I say, that has succeeded in a lot of cases um, has been that the lack of visitors being allowed in does make jail time more onerous than it would be otherwise. And I was in a case just last week where a man received a two and a half year um, sentence for a, uh, quite a serious rape where he had hit the victim in the face. He only has to serve nine months of that sentence in full-time custody. And the sentencing judge did say as she handed down that sentence that the time in, in full-time custody would have been longer had it not been for those restrictions on visitors. It's a bit rich, not to mention fruity, that serious criminals can say my human rights have been jeopardised, don't send me to jail. Um, I suppose it depends how you look at it, isn't it? It's a, it's a very subjective thing because on one hand, you know, you've got community expectations here and, and people would rightly expect that, you know, people who commit certain offences are going to go behind bars. But at the same time, you know, we can't just sort of, I suppose, turn ourselves into this barbaric society that just locks everybody up and throws away the key. In the last few weeks, you've covered two cases in particular where the driver pleaded guilty, pled guilty it may be, pleaded guilty... Pleaded, I think, is the... Pleaded, OK, thank you, a little correction there, to <laughs> causing a death and then left court with a fairly short prison sentence. What happened? Here in the ACT, the first of those cases involved a driver, um, a truck driver, who was um, had a history of undiagnosed sleep apnea that he was aware of and had failed to do anything about, and he's then crashed into the back of a family car as that family was on the way uh, to a toy shop and the crash has killed a four-year-old boy. Um, the offender in that case, Akis Livis, had... Uh, 50-odd convictions. The time that he'll spend in jail, even if he serves his maximum sentence, is actually a, a lesser sentence than uh, the time that that young boy was alive. And in the other case, in Queanbeyan, it was a very different set of circumstances where the driver, um, in that case, Darren Sansom, was a man of prior good character, didn't have um, a history of, of criminality. Uh, he was inattentive one morning, driving along the Federal Highway near Sutton, and he's veered into the breakdown lane and hit and killed a uh, respected uh, major in the New Zealand Army who was based here in Canberra. Uh, he got two years and three months in jail and a non-prior period of one year. Was that the cyclist one? It was. They're interesting cases in that there's not an intention on the part of the driver to hit somebody or to kill them, but whether it's their negligence or whether it's, uh, in the case of the one that happened here in the ACT, failing to treat a medical condition that later on leads to the crash, there's things that could have been done to prevent that from happening. It comes down to, in the end, what price do you put on a life? Peter, can you shed a bit of light how, on how we could end up in a situation where it feels like not a particularly positive outcome for anyone involved? The big issue in my knowledge of this is, is the degree of... Uh, the difference between negligence and culpability. Culpability is hugely hard for the cops to prove. I mean, the amount of effort they put into to proving culpability is um, massive. I, I mean, I can recall one case here in Canberra in particular where a chap driving along Limestone Avenue early in the morning veered off the road on a bend and actually... Uh, hit and killed a guy who was who was actually cutting his front lawn with a pair of garden shears. Now, the cops, you know, I remember turning up, and after the investigation, they 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 went through his computer records, they went through some CCTV, they found out that this guy was a compulsive gambler, 
and he'd been awake for 24 hours previously. And they put an enormous amount of work and to prove culpability in this case. The fact that he was grossly negligent in his attitude. He knew that he was a danger to everyone else by driving his car after having gone almost 24 hours without sleep and, and hitting and killing this other chap. And the cops, it took a lot of effort for the cops to get culpability up, but they got it and they locked him up. On appeal, it was reduced. But I can recall the amount of work they put in to get that done. There's a big difference there between culpability and negligence. There is. Culpability is, is, uh, you have to, has to be a degree of intense recklessness in what you're doing. You, you basically a, a complete disregard for the lives of others in your actions. Negligence can be simply a, the fact that you, you weren't paying attention, something happened, you sneezed, you had a coughing fit, you, you might have been uh, in attention within the vehicle but that's the difference. The culpability has to show that it's a here hold my beer type of attitude towards driving. Peter have you had any moments with the police where they've described to you that difficulty? Yeah quite a few times. I've worked with a crash team. I, In my 10 years with the, with the police I spent a lot of time standing on the side of the road with the police with, with vehicle major vehicle crashes, fatal crashes you know, waiting for the coroner to turn up, waiting often waiting for the media to turn up, which they really did at two o'clock in the morning. But we will get away from that. But uh, interestingly, often the discussion, and uh, speaking with crash investigators, is the difference between when a vehicle is involved in a in a major crime causing death and someone who's actually in, has an intent and uses a rifle to do so. It appears, and we've touched on this, and it's probably a good discussion for another time as well, but if you have an intent to use a vehicle to commit a crime, a high degree of recklessness and a degree of intent that's bordering on murder and you kill someone, it seems that you get a much, much reduced sentence than you would if you actually took out a rifle and killed the person because it would be you, you you're committing the same intent of crime but your sentence is much much lower if you could do it we're using three quarters of a ton of vehicle why i don't know it's a quirk of the law it's it's one of the strangest things this would be interesting to test in court but that crime using a vehicle to commit murder as compared to actually murdering someone with a bludgeoning someone to death with a weapon I'd be interested to see what the outcome would be between the two cases. Peter Brewer, Blake Foden, Cassie Morgan, thank you very much indeed. Join the two of us, me, Alex Crow, And me, Steve Evans. Next week for another edition of the Canberra Times News Podcast.